0: Welcome. This is David Barris, President of the American Association of Bank Directors. Today we have as our guest Linda Bennett to discuss what you need to know about DNO insurance policies and the current market before your bank renews its policy. This is part two to our DNO insurance discussion with Linda. Linda is the chair of the insurance recovery group and member of the executive board at Lowenstein Sandler with over twenty five years of experience. She represents banks and other corporate policyholders in reviewing and negotiating the terms of D&O insurance policies and litigating, negotiating, and resolving complicated disputes with insurers. All right,
1: let's call Linda.
0: Hello, Linda. Welcome to ABD's Calling All Bank Directors podcast.
1: Good afternoon, David. Good to talk to you again and really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Today's subject is a continuation of our last podcast episode on what bank directors need to know about D&O insurance. So when and how does insurance coverage kick in when you need it the most?
1: So how you actually access the D&O coverage uh, can sometimes get tricky. Um, the, the, most, the starting point for this discussion is, what are the requirements of the company to the individual director or officer um, to provide defense cost advancement and ultimately indemnification? And that's something that many of my clients, frankly, overlook. They don't pay careful attention to what the governing documents for their organization state. They don't have uh, separate written indemnification agreements that address uh, the particulars of how and when defense cost advancement will be provided. Is it mandatory? Is it discretionary? Um, and it's really important for directors and officers to understand how that's going to work before a claim is presented, because what many people don't realize, again, until a claim has has landed on their doorstep, is that the insurance policies, these directors and insurance policies um, – Are structured in a way that presumes the company has the broadest indemnification and advancement obligation that is permitted under the law. Um, And when we spoke last time, I made reference to self insured retentions and whether an individual director or officer has to satisfy a self insured retention. What's important to know here is if The company has a defense cost advancement obligation to a director, for example, and that request is made and the company does not respond or refuses to provide indemnification or advancement. And the insurance company believes that under the law or under the governing documents of the company, there is an obligation to provide that defense cost advancement. The individual director or officer can find themselves in a very unhappy position where the policy has a $500,000 self-insured retention, the company is not agreeing to pay their defense costs, and the insurance company is taking the position that they don't have to pay any defense costs until $500,000 has been spent by somebody. Now, here's a pro tip for you. Uh, This is an area where you can and should make sure that there are protections in your directors and officers policy to protect the individual directors and officers. Many D&O forms, but not all, um, many D&O forms available on the market today will have language in the policy that says if the insurance, I'm sorry, if the company fails or refuses for any reason at all to provide defense cost advancement, then the insurance company will start immediately providing coverage to the individual director or officer, and then the insurance company will take up the fight with the company as to whether they should be satisfying that self-insured retention or not. And that's really important to look for that language in your policy because, as I said, not all policies are created equal, and this is a provision that appears in many but not all directors' and officers' policies.
0: Linda, uh, thank you uh, on that. That sounds very important. What other definitions and terms in the policy are important, such as, uh, for example, the uh, regulatory exclusion and other definitions? What can you do about it?
1: So It is very important to carefully review the policy uh, during the initial placement and then when the policy is coming up for renewal um, you are going to want to pay very careful attention to uh, all of the terms and conditions but as david you mentioned one area that's particularly in flux right now and we're seeing differences in the scope of coverage that's available uh, is for regulatory investigation so you will find reference to that uh, typically in the definition of claim and what we're seeing is some carriers are agreeing to provide coverage if and only when a regulatory inquiry uh, crosses the line to becoming an actual enforcement action. Um, other carriers are expressing a willingness to provide coverage for a regulatory inquiry, a, you know, some, so a Wells Notice letter, um, a subpoena, Uh, that identifies that an investigation is being undertaken. Um, But what we're seeing, the trend that I'm seeing there, is that coverage is typically being offered only to the insured persons or insured individuals and not to the company. Uh, So that creates some allocation and scope of coverage issues. Um, In addition, for regulatory inquiries, you need to look at the policy language to determine whether a claim, whether a regulatory inquiry will not be deemed a claim unless and until wrongful acts are alleged. So that's a sticky area where you really have to carefully study the policy language, and it's an area that's very much um, in flux. Another very important area to look in your policy is at the conduct exclusions. And so by that I mean All of these DNO policies contain exclusions for deliberate fraud, illegal profit and gain, um, you know, things of, of an intentional conduct type of a nature. And what's really important to look for there is the conduct exclusion should not apply to the defense coverage that's provided under the policy. And so, what we'll see in many DNO policies is that there is a conduct exclusion, but it will say, but defense costs will be provided unless and until there's been a final adjudication of that alleged misconduct. And so that's a very important area to look at and make sure that you've got that final adjudication language um, in the policy. Um, I also want to note that and, and this is another important. I'll call this one a limits consideration, a policy limits consideration. As I mentioned to you previously, the reference to DNO and your D&O policy is a bit of a mis- misnomer. Not only because the policy covers more than just directors and officers typically, but also because what people refer to as their DNO policy many times is actually a management liability policy, meaning that it will provide coverage for directors and officers claims, employment practices claims, crime claims, and fiduciary liability. And so one of the things that I recommend clients carefully consider there is what are the total policy limits that you're going to have um, for this you know for your DNO policy because if you have a D&O claim And an employment practices claim in the same year, typically these policies are structured so that there's one aggregate limit. Um, And so in some instances, you may be able to get dedicated limits so that there's a dedicated limit for D&O claims, a separate and dedicated limit for an employment practices claim. But if you're not able to do that, uh, that's something to take a look at and think about whether additional excess coverage uh, needs to be put onto the policy or into the tower or not?
0: Linda, uh, what what strategies? This is skipping uh, down to the point, not just on the DNO policy language itself, but actually how it operates and what strategies uh, can you follow? Can a bank follow as to when to file a claim?
1: So this is another area where, frankly, we see clients sometimes make mistakes, um, particularly when their policy has a very large self-insured retention. Uh, Sometimes clients will uh, want to take a wait-and-see approach to see if something that seems like it's going to be a relatively small matter that should be able to be resolved well within the self-insured retention um, they won't put a notice of claim in when they first become aware of what that situation is. That is a very significant uh, mistake uh, because these policies are written on a what's called a claims-made policy, meaning that if you have knowledge of this relatively small matter in October of 2021 – and your policy comes up for renewal, let's say, on January 1st, 2021, and you don't provide notice of this small matter and your policy period expires, and then suddenly in March of 2021, this this small matter morphs into a very large claim, you will be deemed out of time and not get coverage for that otherwise fully reimbursable claim if you fail to put your notice letter in. So that's a, that's a really – one of the biggest mistakes that we see clients make is not providing immediate notice of, of claims. And as I mentioned, one reason may be because it's going to be – they think it's going to remain within the self-insured retention. Another reason is that clients don't realize what actually constitutes a claim. Many of your listeners are thinking that a claim is a lawsuit or some type of legal action that has been filed against you and that's when the insurance company needs to know about it. That's actually a myth because claim is defined in all of these policies quite broadly to include any written demand for monetary or non-monetary relief. And what that means is, when you get the threatening letter from an attorney or from a client telling you, I've, you know, if you don't do X, I'm going to pursue all appropriate legal relief against you, uh, that is the moment that the insurance company needs to be put on notice of the claim. And, and I'm really emphasizing this because we've seen this mistake made many, many times. So I hope that your listeners are going to rectify that and, and not make that mistake. Um, once a claim has been submitted to the carrier, um, there are some very important steps that should be taken early on uh, after the claim has been noticed to set the right tone for how the claim is going to be handled. Um, as I mentioned during our first session, the DNO market is very much in flux right now, and insurance carriers want to uh, have insureds and, and insure risks with companies that are responsible, that are collaborative. Um, And so early on when a claim gets made, it's important to set up conversations with the claims representative, uh, the risk manager, the defense counsel, so that everyone can get on the same page as to how this matter is going to proceed. We get into a lot of early disputes and debates about what the, who's going to get to pick the defense lawyer, uh, what are the hourly rates that the insurance company are going to approve. And I want to be clear on that point too because there's a lot of um, misconceptions and myths out there. The insurance company does not have the right, typically, to impose um, unrealistic hourly rates on the lawyers that are going to be defending you in the case. Um, if you've got close relationships with law firms that you want to have used as your defense counsel on your matters. There are steps that you can take in the policy placement process to get them specifically endorsed and pre-approved and added to your policy. But that, if that hasn't happened, um, there are discussions that need to take place at the front end of the defense of the case um, that will um, smooth the way for the insurance company to reimburse the defense costs as they're incurred, and then also puts you in a very good position if and when the time comes to have a settlement discussion or to address a judgment that may be uh, entered. But getting your carrier and your defense counsel aligned and on the same page early on is critically important to a smooth and seamless, successful in defense of a claim that's insured under your policy. And we see a lot of um, issues pop up where uh, people aren't playing nice in the sandbox at the front end of a claim and it just makes it much more difficult uh, than it needs to be um, to, to focus your attention on actually defeating the liability that's been asserted against you.
0: Finally, Linda, and this is something you've touched on before, but I think it may need to be emphasized, is uh, can your bank negotiate terms of the coverage with the carrier, and if so, how?
1: Yes. I mean, this is something that many clients, as I mentioned before, many clients are not aware that these D&O policies are not offered on a take-it-or-leave-it basis. Um, The way to go about Negotiating those terms is to carefully review the policy as you're coming up to your renewal. Typically, for D and O policies, the renewal discussions will start about 60 days before your policy period is going to expire. Um, And after you get the policy forms that will be in place, if there are any new endorsements that they want to add to your existing policy form, you're going to want to review those carefully. With your broker and your coverage counsel, um, who can then create the list of requests that will be made to the insurance company to seek modification of the terms. And I will be very blunt and direct in saying that typically uh, you go in with a longer list. As with any negotiation, you're gonna have your must have requests, your nice to have, and the bells and whistles that you'd like to add to your bicycle. Um, and you sit down with the broker and with the underwriter and have a discussion about what changes they're willing to make this year. Um, And then in my experience in working with clients on this, uh, year over year over year, you'll get many of the the items on your list uh, with each passing year. Now, I will caveat that to say that this year, due to COVID and due to the extremely volatile nature of the DNO market generally that I mentioned during our last session, um, getting changes made to the policy may be more difficult. Um, right now the DNO market is considered to be hard, meaning that competition is is not as freewheeling and, and um, you know, the the carriers are scaling back. In terms of what they're looking to do with their DNO book of business, but like every other business cycle, uh, there are ebbs and flows in the DNO market, and so things that you can't get this year on your wish list can certainly be held and brought up in next year's renewal and the following year's renewal, and the market will soften up because that is the the business cycle of of the DNO space as well. So sit down with your broker and your car- and your counsel and come up with that list and then uh, have the conversation with the broker and as I, I'm sorry, with the underwriter. And as I mentioned, in many instances, the changes to the policy wording do not result in an increase in premium, um, but they won't be made if you don't ask.
0: Linda, that was excellent. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. I really do appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to to hearing more of your podcast sessions. This has really been terrific. Thank you so much.